All right, welcome to the Diverse Church Podcast, a conversation to help you multiply dis- diverse disciples in churches. Uh, I am Tyler Zock, and I'm joined by my co-lead pastor, Jameson Horton. What's up, everybody? Hey, and we uh, give leadership to a church here in Omaha, Nebraska called City Light Benson. Yep. And uh, today joining us is special guest, uh, Dr. Scott Booth. Dr. Scott in the building. That's right. He's one of our professors. Uh, Scott Booth is an Old Testament faculty at uh, Pillar Seminary. He has a bachelor's from Union University, a master's and PhD from Trinity uh, Evangelical Divinity School. Uh, Scott specializes in Hebrew Bible and the ancient Near East during the early Iron Age. Let's just say he's a beast. Yeah. He's a beast. Very important. (laughs) The early Iron Age. (laughs) And um, he's on staff at the Abel Beth Mahaka excavation in northern Israel. So he's an an excavator. 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 Uh, Is that what the official term is, Scott? Like... Of like what we do? Yeah. Yeah, it's an excavation. Yeah. Excavation. It's your excavator. Yeah. I I, I think they're different in English though, right? Don't take like... (laughs) Well, Scott, it's great to have you on the show. Um, So we've had taken multiple classes uh, from you and uh, you're one of the most smartest uh, dudes that I know and one of the most engaging professors uh, as well. And so we've thoroughly enjoyed your classes. And so it's uh, just going to be a great time to, to hang out with you here over the next hour. Um, so tell us a little bit about your story, Scott. Like how, you know, where did you grow up? Uh, and how did you make your way into the academic field? Um, yeah, so I grew up mostly in uh, Minneapolis, uh, a little bit in the South. My family's from there. My dad moved up there. Um, I ended up uh, in academics. Well, that's a, it's a funny story, but I'm just going to super. Well, basically, it starts with trying to um, tank my college application. Um, my, my dad, I did really bad in high school. And um, so I tried to tank my college application by putting, like where it said, put your picture here. Like I went to National Geographic and I cut out this witch doctor. Wow. Um, and I pasted it in there and I was like, yeah, I'm not going to college. Wow. And then they called, they're like, it'd be great. And I was like, Psst. <laughs> and, uh, so I was actually a philosophy student and then, um, and that was my undergrad and in philosophy towards the end, I started looking into theology and, um, I, uh, the, the more I started watching how people use the Bible and they would use the same passage to do anything, right? They just, this passage supports my position. No, it supports my position. They're like, well, I guess I got to learn Hebrew. So then I dove into Hebrew. And then once you start doing Hebrew, you realize there's all these other languages and then it just spirals, right? So um, how I got into academics was, uh, well, I actually was praying. Um, I was, a, after college, I went and did tech stuff for my dad. And then um, uh, I kept wanting to get back into the Old Testament. And so I was praying one day and I was like, Lord, what do you want me to do? You want to stay here and do computer stuff? You want me to go do academic things? And like clear as day, I remember the Lord saying, what do you want to do? And <laughs> I was like, well, I want to go do this thing. So I did. And uh, the more I dove into it, the deeper it got. And I was fortunate to study with some of the most brilliant guys. Trinity had a, still does, this, this it's like this 
convergence of the force at like with all these professors there. So I got to study with just top dudes um, in their field who were also believers and train with them. And so my goal was to, uh, I wanted to be a research professor. Um, I was aiming for Lebanon, Syria, or Turkey. I wanted uh, specifically nothing to do with um, ministry and uh, more specifically, nothing to do with pastors. Um, because my time in seminary, um, uh, they annoyed me. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, well, I just, they were, they were satisfied with the simple too easily they, or, or what worked well enough. Wow. They didn't dive for the truth very hard and it bothered me. Wow. So uh, I kept going and kept going. I told the Lord I would go anywhere for a PhD except for Trinity. And then he did that. Uh, that's another story. It was pretty amazing stuff. And then um, when I was finishing my PhD, uh, Eric Smith calls me up and says, hey, you want to start a seminary? So I was like, well, I mean, I can get some, if this thing tanks in a year, at least I taught some classes, it'll, you know, it'll be all right. And then um, uh, I guess it's a, it's a case of a bit like Jacob, I suppose, where the Lord is leading you yep. and you're kind of kicking the whole way, not knowing that you've been kicking. And then when you get to the right spot, you're like, whoa, okay. Yep. So here I am. And I... Um, uh, through all of that inverted my position from grad school, which is the church. I can't stand it to uh, the local church is pretty much all I want to equip now. Wow. So wow. that's it. That's the story. Wow. Mm. That's great. That's Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for yeah, filling us in. I didn't know some of those details. Yeah. So, so we're, we're actively leading. We, we merged churches uh, about a year ago. Uh, we're leading a multi-ethnic, multicultural church. And this, this podcast is aimed at listeners, leaders, members who are also kind of on the same journey. Yeah. And so we wanted to pull you on, Scott, just to uh, just bring, um, bring your wisdom, uh, especially from the Old Testament. You, you spent a lot of years there. Uh, just kind of filling in some holes, uh, so to speak. You know, I, I come from a gospel-centered tribe, a gospel-centered background, and uh, I won't blame anybody but myself in that when you take on the label gospel-centered, uh, you kind of start to believe it. Like, I must be right in the center, <laughs> uh, perfectly mm-hmm. balanced between all these spectrums. And mm-hmm. when I took your class in biblical narrative, and one of, the, one of the things I like about Pillar is that it's very narrative-based. Uh, it's not so systematic-based, but very narrative-based. And, and as we walked through the uh, majority of the Old Testament, um, I began to see God's heart. Uh, and that's one of the things that you guys say a lot is, is that the Old Testament can, is there to reveal God's heart. Yeah. And uh, I just began seeing these themes of justice uh, and mercy come out like never before. And it really shaped me in some, in some amazing ways. And I feel like it's very relevant because I think in some of our churches, some of the, that truth has gotten suppressed yeah. or overlooked. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a a big trend in evangelical circles uh, to preach Paul's letters over and over again and skip the the books of the Torah and some of these other Old Testament books, the prophets. And so that's what I want to talk about a little bit today. And so would you you agree that there's a little bit of a a hole in our gospel in terms of justice, mercy, and some of those things? I I think that's an understatement. I think it's a big enough hole that... um, you, uh, the structure is 
if it's standing pretty weak. So. <laughs> and and uh, why, do, why do you think that is, Scott? Like, I don't know. What, why? As you've, have um, you talked to different students that have come in from different traditions and, and kind of been doing your thing and just observing, what, why, do you, why do you think that is? Oh, man. I, I would, so I've been thinking about that a lot. And I would say, so I started, well, okay. Uh, on the one hand, I want to say, um, I was looking at history of like European church. Okay. And I was uh, thinking through some of that stuff. And, um, and then the more I think about it, I don't think that it's that narrow. I think it's more of a human problem. Um, uh, like if you look at the way that Jesus is having to talk to his disciples and the way he talks to Pharisees, there just seems to be this, this push, uh, to be first, you know, mm-hmm. to be on top. Yeah. Yep. And, um, that's an odd position. Um, like Jesus tells all these parables against that. Right, he talks about this the wicked servant who was forgiven much and wouldn't forgive. Right, his servant, his, his disciples say after they're like, "Well, Jesus, who can get into heaven?" After he's talking to the rich guy, right? Um, um, when Jesus talks to him about that, um, he tells him, and they say, "Well, Lord, uh, we have followed you. We have left our 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 um, our." Our family, we left our homes. So where will we be in the kingdom? What is our position in the kingdom? Right? And he's like, you guys are going to be judges over the twelve tribes, and then he like goes to the whole thing. And the very last sentence is, but the first are going to be last, and the last are going to be first. So he like keeps having to put down this rise to the top thing. So, um, so I think that there is a a I think we as people are disinclined to see the root of the gospel and very inclined to receive its rewards. Wow. Can you say that one more time? Say that one more time. I, I think we're disinclined to see the roots of the gospel yeah. and we're very much inclined to receive the rewards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like the root of the gospel is the same story that's been told over and over again. It's um, so basically this is why I say the answer is not Jesus. It's the other way around half the time, most of the time. Even though I just answered with Jesus, that's annoying. <laughs> um, uh, um, you know, you know, Jesus um, empties himself and comes down, right, and humbles himself even to death on the cross. Yep. Why? Right? It's to rescue, to rescue us, because yep. we're in. We need rescuing, yep. and like, what prompted that? Mm. Right? I mean, if you start. It's basically, it's, it's people hurting on the bottom, crying out. And if you go even like, go to the story in Genesis, right? Where God calls Abraham and says, hey, Abraham, let's go. Let's go do this thing. Let's fix, let's go fix the planet, right? All through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Prior to that, it's just a disaster of a story, right? God makes this thing and the whole thing goes downhill. And when he gets Abraham, he's like, hey, let's go fix it. Abe's like, all right. Like, what prompted that? You know? He, he just, and like, and if you think about it, like, after that, how much is sin discussed once you hit Abraham? 
You know, those guys are terrible people. <laughs> they do, well, they do some terrible things anyway, right? And, and how much does God say, you just send, you just send, you just send? It just doesn't happen. And Exodus, what happened? He just goes in and he rescues, right? If you read Hosea, he sees his bride out in the wilderness. He just goes, get, he goes and gets her. In fact, he puts her in the wilderness so that he can go and get her, right? To give her a desire for him again. Why? Like um, all of this stuff, um, it costs him. You know what I mean? The whole time. There's nothing been different about it. He just goes and rescues. So like at the root of the gospel is, um, well, I would say this, this, um, um, I used to say a narrative, like the number one way, I don't know if you guys remember this, number one way to make God angry, although I say it a little crasser, um, is to um, hurt poor people yep. or hurt people who are suffering, yep. mm-hmm. right? I think it's actually more specific than that. I think it's to not actively lift them up. Wow. And wow. so so when you say like, well, there's a hole in the theology, I think it's quite a profound hole because when we pray for help, we're praying for God to come actively lift us up. And we don't actively look like him when we interact with the world. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, and I think that's the thing where we're disinclined to do it. We're inclined to receive the rewards by saying, dear God, help me, help me, save me, save me. Mm-hmm. And even within the church saying that. But we're not inclined to pay the price yeah. and do it like he does. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And, it's hard, wow. yeah. but that characteristic's been there the whole time. Like, you know, when we get to Torah, we start talking about the law. You think the blood of a lamb gives you forgiveness? How many lambs equals a curse <laughs> word? You know, how many? How many ounces of blood does it count? Wow. Doesn't. What about? What about like like we run through stories all the time in narrative where God just forgives them, and there's no sacrifice that takes place. Yep. Like the whole time. Like he carries this. Yeah. He's just taking it on the chin all the time. But you know, you and I, we don't want to do it that much. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I, so when you're asking like, what's the root of it? I think that we don't want to do it very much. And I think that there is a disadvantage to wealth because it's easy to not do it. Yep. You know, um, you forget how much you, if you forget your suffering, it's easy to not have an eye towards someone else's because we're still just like that. So I think in particular, the white evangelical church doesn't suffer. Um, and they're not inclined to. Or, or we think that we are. Like, we think we are, right? <laughs> so, like I was just thinking, you know, the, just the moralistic therapeutic theism, you know, idea. And, and just thinking about how we want God to be um, sort of our therapist. Yep. And help us mm-hmm. feeling like we're the victim, like we're we're uh, we're suffering, and even like we mentioned Exodus. Um, how many times when we're preaching through Exodus, or uh, we put ourselves in the the Israelite shoes, as it like we're the and and like on a macro level, yes, we were we're in bondage to sin. We need yeah. Jesus to save us. Um, look at I'm, there you go inserting Jesus in the <laughs> Exodus, uh, but uh, but I'm saying we we'd be less inclined if we're the ones in power, like especially the white majority. We've been in power for a long time. Uh, it'd be it would feel odd of us to put ourselves in the Egyptian shoes, 
like as the ones in, in power, you know? We, yeah. We automatically we automatically what, assume uh, these narratives that we're the ones on the on the wrong side of injustice and need help, need therapy, need, you know, God to show up. Um, but we don't think about it in terms of no, what if what if the whole first is last yeah. thing, maybe Jesus is talking to us yeah. that we're first and uh, we need to to help the people that are on the bottom. So yeah, I think too on that particular thing, what's so interesting about Exodus is God uses it as an example of how we have to behave. You were once this way. So don't do that to people. In fact, you have to go the other way. So like there are these laws that say things like if you if if there's a uh, you're taking someone goes into debt, like they borrow something from you. Um, don't take and if you take their their jacket, their cloak got to give it back to them at night so you can make sure that they're warm, right? And it has nothing in these cases, like Old Testament law is tricky. But the idea there is that, like, um, you are even in, what, what that law does is it makes the lending an act of help rather than an act of money-making, mm. right? Because you're just saying, I care more about the person who needs the, the, um, the cloak than I do about the debt. So yes, let's interact together, but I'm not gonna put you in a position of vulnerability. I'm gonna lend to you to get you out of vulnerability and give you your cloak back. Yeah. Cost me twice, yeah. wow. right? Like, like that's the whole, so he gives all these laws. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was thinking about that this morning, actually. Um, Amos talks about when he goes into Israel, Israel is really wealthy. Um, at the time when Amos is talking to them, Amos was actually wealthy, probably. Um, he accuses um, Israel of, uh, one, trampling the heads of the poor into the dust, and two, um, laying beside the altars um, um, on garments taken in pledge. So, interestingly, they're doing worship with the thing, it's a stand-in for that law, saying you're abusing the poor and worshiping falsely by it. Mm. So even, you know what I mean? Like you're taking your wealth to the worship, even in this false worship. Mm. Uh, Then it's not like they were actively, like they see a poor person and they would like go push their face in the dust and then like stomp on it or something, right? Um, So what were they doing? What did it look like to trample the heads of the poor? I think that's a hard question. Like, uh, it is a hard question to answer why do we do this because yeah. mm-hmm. as soon as you start seeing why do we why do why do we get alerted to this because as soon as you start seeing it it's everywhere it's the whole text he just says this is what i do for you and i would i, I want you to act like me on this earth yeah. in yeah. this kingdom yeah. well, kingdom is here and he's elected us to do it yeah. for sure um you know when i would read my old testament do the bible in your plan and and continue to go through the Old Testament, whether or not that those books were being preached. Um, just on my own observation, you know, it seemed like I always resonated with it. Like, yeah, God's a God of justice. And, you know, we, we need to care about the widows and the orphans. Um, uh, but, but tell us a little bit about widows and orphans. Like, what does that mean? You know, does it mean we just go after widows, just go after orphans? Like, how, how can we, uh, how does that translate to today in our culture? Great question. Yeah, I think you... 
Well, super cool stuff. Sociologically, it's something called um, patrimonialism is the background of this. But basically, in a system like theirs, the most socially vulnerable people uh, or widows and orphans are the epitome of socially uh, vulnerable. Uh, Another one you'll see is foreigners and strangers in your land where they have no, essentially they have no legal, they have no land, they have no tie to land, you have no tie to land, you have no tie to food, and so you're in vulnerable position. Um, So it's a stand-in for vulnerability. Hmm. It's it's not widows and orphans. So it's an umbrella term for for all of the vulnerable in that society. Correct. And then to translate it to today, it's, who are the widows and orphans? Yep. Who are the most vulnerable in our neighborhood? Yep. Who are the most vulnerable in our city? And do we care about those people? Yep. So, right. So, right. So, so in there, what is that when oftentimes people say, okay, I agree with you on that, but, as, but let's, put, let's put policies in place and let's, and let's, um, and don't don't be socially active, but let's get the right person in government and they'll they'll make everything better. To me, oftentimes that's a although policies are necessary, to me mm-hmm. oftentimes it's a cop out from having to actually do something myself. Mm-hmm. And how how yeah. do we translate where where those who will say yes? for the oppressed, for the vulnerable, but how do we get them to actually move from intellectually knowing that to actually doing? Does that, that make sense? Because when you, mm. often now we get the, when we start doing, oh, now you're just social justice people, social justice pastors, and it's like, no, we're actually stepping into places to be able to lead our church to a holistic discipleship of seeing the mm. gospel um, and not always being the victim in it, you know what I mean? So how do we, how do we translate that? How do we verbalize that? Well, I think it's a long path. Um, and I think it's also, the question indicates um, systemic failure. Um, uh, because I think there's a general lack of understanding what the kingdom of God is and what the gospel is. You know, Jesus doesn't go around saying, um, good news, I saved your soul. Right? Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, you're dealing with most people thinking that that's the, the salvation is your soul is saved. And when you die, you go to heaven and neither of those or the gospel is that your soul is saved. And when you die, you go to heaven and those things are not accurate. It's just not what it is. Um, it's centered on the kingdom of God. Well, for those just want a quick overview, like he built this place, we broke it. <laughs> and then Ultimately, he's going to fix it. And the way that when he says the kingdom of God is here now, um, his disciples misunderstood that. And they understood that the Lord was going to be establishing his throne and his rule again on earth and everything would be repaired. And his disciples like, yeah, when does that start? And Jesus is like, yeah, right now, go do it. You got to go do that now. I'll be back. Right. So the place we broke, he's now employed us to as his uh, little hymns, little, little, little Jesuses to run around and repair, to, to be that gospel that runs out, right? That um, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit now, right? The, the, the local church is. So essentially, the, um, their job 
once they enter into the kingdom of heaven is to start doing it. I mean, you just got to do it. And the, it's the ask. It is the ask, right? The ask is you've walked through the gate. You've become one of God's children. Now get about it. Right. And now you got to get about acting like him. Well, how did he act? Well, every time you pray, cry out to the Lord, he answers in his way because he knows what he's doing. So grow, start knowing what you're doing so that you can be aware of all those around you who need answers, who need help. Grow them like you, you do for others what the Lord has done and is doing for you. It should be um, reflexive. And the extent that it is not is an issue of sanctification, right? It's just the process of weeding this stuff out. So to get people internally motivated for like, like what's going on, in my experience, the more they can understand like the cool sci-fi-ness of the Bible, that like there's this like whole other kingdom happening and that's the one you participate in. You are not you're not primarily some sort of national identity. Your identity is in the kingdom of God. That's a substratum all around and all these folks walking around, you get to bring them in and you get to show them that kingdom and they can come in or not. So uh, Your heart and concern for, you should be on the lookout for that as much as you would hope God is on the lookout for you. And as much as he has demonstrated that he is on the lookout for you. For while you were still a sinner. That's it. Yep. That's it. All right. Man, that's good. Man, that's good. Scott, so one of the things that stood out to me is the prophets and the role of the prophet in the the Old Testament. And, um, you know, I just go back and and looking at it with fresh eyes, they were agitators. Uh, They didn't come to bring comfort. They came to, 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 to... to be agitators, to say, hey, there, there's, in, there's grave injustices here. And I'll, on behalf of God, let me tell you about these things or else, you know? And, uh, but, but somehow we've gotten to a place in the local church where uh, we're peace, uh, peacemaking has become peace, peace faking. Uh, it's, uh, we, have, we can't speak out, we can't defend the, the vulnerable, we can't say things, we have to sort of uh, we, we take that verse, live, at, live uh, peaceably with all as much as you can, as far as it depends on you. And so there's this mm-hmm. kind of atmosphere of like just trying to keep the peace, not say anything that's going to disturb anybody or make anybody uncomfortable. How did we get here? So, you know, mm-hmm. start back in the Old Testament. What is the role of a prophet? What, what was a prophet supposed to do? Yeah. Uh, and, and maybe mm-hmm. talk to us about how, how that's how we get uh, flagged or get uh, angry emails if we do uh, act in that sort of that yep. prophetic function and yep. speaking into the things that need to be spoken into. Yep. So I say um, I would divide it into two different groups. Uh, one prophet is, I would use the term exclusively for when someone says they're essentially functioning as a spokesperson for a given deity. Like, Hey, I was just in the back room and deity so-and-so just told me to come tell you something. Thus saith the Lord. Then, yeah. What? Like, thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the yeah, Lord. Yeah. Uh, um, people sometimes think that New Testament prophecy is different. It's not Philip's daughters are this way. Um, people walk up, you know, to what's his butt? Agabus walks up and says, you know, you're, you're going in, in bound in chains. It's not like, you know, all the way. Anyways, clear, very understandable statements, a message from a deity. 
And so that's one group, right? Where the Lord would then tell you, hey, Tyler, you're going to have to go tell Jameson this. And then beyond that, you step out. You don't care. <laughs> because you just, you're, you know, James is like, what, what do you mean? You can't tell me that. And Tyler, you'd be like, dude, job's done. Don't take it up with me. I'm out. <laughs> right. You're just a message bearer. The other one is um, for uh, those who have teachers and understand people who understand the text are expected to act like it. Um, and when they don't, they're expected to call it out. And they, they call it out in wisdom. So, you know, uh, that's, so some of that's like make an effort to be at peace with people. You know, you don't need to go in and set fire to every building that has something wrong in it. That's, that's a wisdom aspect, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, both sets of people, uh, the prophetic and the teachers in the um, text are um, required to behave as the Lord has instructed. Um, and that means uh, you do not allow for injustice when you see it. You, you, if you are in, you know, you know think about, we had the student, we have a student in um, California and uh, she sees uh, foster kids and she sees families at her church and she's like, guys, let's go get all, let's, let's all start. So she starts this fostering ministry mm-hmm. at her church, right? Yeah. Just to minister to this hurting population. Yeah, talk about vulnerable, like the widows and orphans of our day. Yeah, like, sure. totally, right? So she just launches, and not only just launches that, but then she's like, she wants to equip other people to do it, right? So um, in that sense, she's not prophet. She is essentially mobilizing, right? She is just doing what the text says, and when you get pushback on that, which the Lord says you will, uh, you're going to, you'll get it from two places. Uh, one is like external to the church, but primarily you'll probably see it inside the church, power structures. Right? Because the Lord, the premise of the gospel is that power structures use their power to elevate. And um, that is counter human we like to use our power well we like to maintain our power he likes to um share it you know and go rescue get more people in the door um and his generosity so i think that when you then you start acting like you're like hey these are the things i'm seeing and we're gonna go this way um the (laughs) you should expect that to not go well Like, you know, Jesus talks about it being a narrow way and it's very difficult and people don't want to do it. And it's a long-term project. Um, uh, So that's what I would say. Uh, Thanks for the encouragement, uh, Scott. Yeah, go get him, guys. (laughs) I mean, in all seriousness, um, the gospel is counter. The Lord, counter to the way people want to behave. And so the more gospel-centered you can be um, the the more only gospel centered people are going to want to be around you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so that might. Yeah, for me, we had Myron on, and he talked about this this spectrum, you know, from being apathetic towards being an ally, 
and in the middle, um, there's a couple different labels he had. But you know, I just feel like for the longest time, it was intellectual, like you said, Jameson. I'd read my Bible and say, "Yeah, God's the God of justice. That's the God I serve." You know, and um, but there was apathy there, and there was no mm-hmm. advocacy yep. in my life. It, it was very clear that God was being an advocate uh, for. The, the people on the wrong side of injustice, for the widows, the orphans. He's declaring, making all kinds of declarations on their behalf and defending them. Um, but I just, it didn't translate to, to my action. Yep. Uh, it, didn't, mm-hmm. it didn't translate to me being an advocate. And when I mean advocate, I don't just mean like going and fostering, but actually speaking up for foster kids and having a voice. Yep. And we've just, yep. even in the short time we've been together for a couple of years, Every time it seems like we try to have a voice and try to speak out and try to, to image God in that way, uh, we just get shut down. Yeah. You know, we get the angry emails. Jameson in particular? Um, they don't come to me. <laughs> they go to Tyler. Yeah. 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 They go to Tyler. They don't, they don't, they don't bring it to me, um, which for various reasons, I think maybe because of is a dog whistling. Yep. <laughs> yep. And, uh, and so, yeah. Well, part, I think, and, but I, I tend to post probably a little bit more because we've kind of talked about like even social media strategy and what we do. Like, we got to protect uh, leaders of color because there's been the death by a thousand cuts. Yeah. You know, like, uh, Jameson has had hard conversations his entire life. Yeah. And I've only been having some hard conversations around areas of justice for, for two years. Uh, and so, um, and as a person who's white, who's still part of the majority culture, um, I feel like it's, 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 it's um, sort of my God-given responsibility to speak up as much as I can uh, because mm-hmm. the majority has been silent on issues of justice. Uh, so I want to image God in that way. And so I tend to try to, to do it as much as I can um, but yeah, there, there's a lot of shots. Um, but I realize you, this has been your whole life. Yeah. This, this like, is just recent for me. You yeah. Know? This is not nothing new. You know, if I had to answer these, a lot of questions for a long time, you know, is, so I think I've gotten, yeah, used to the, uh, uh, the attacks on that, but <clears throat> it's actually more new or fresher now since we've merged of, I haven't been so much in the white evangelical realm and church. And so I've seen it heightened to another level of just the pushback um, for speaking up, for uh, why, why would you tell us that we need to do this or to change? And it's just, it, oftentimes is well, it's just a sin problem, you know? And so you just, you, you, you get that I haven't seen that before so heightened before mm-hmm. um, now in the position that I'm in. And so my, my comeback is always not so much to say something, but I'm, you know what, we're going we're gonna to keep doing and we're going to keep pushing our church to step into places and to keep giving resources and to keep yeah. inviting our church. Like we're not we're not um, not given to make over our building, but we're going to give and push our our church to step into North Omaha <laughs> and to build relationships and to speak up. And, and that's where our resources are going. So yeah. the more they push back, the more I'm like, we're going to keep leading <laughs> by action. Yes. 
Right. It's the only way to do it. And as I'm listening to you talk, one of the um, one of the problems is uh, making disciples. It takes a long time, and so you're dealing with people um, uh, who like, you've got to minister to them, and so you have to have a five year track to train them in your mind when you approach them. Like, okay this person is saying some pretty horrible things. <laughs> All right. Five-year plan. I'm going to put them on it. You know, they don't even need to know you're doing it. Exactly. Right? The Lord didn't tell half the people that he's doing it. Yep. <laughs> and you put them on that plan and you start training them um, essentially uh, to move from being infants to being um, uh, eating full-blown meals. You know, I say this like, here's something interesting about Paul's letters as you brought that up earlier, like this, you know, uh, I think you did. They're like the churches, um, at least the white evangelical church is so heavily focused on Paul's letters. Yeah. I think there's some levels of convenience to that. Uh, Paul is writing to essentially baby Christians. <laughs> He's like, listen, guys, <laughs> you can't kill folks. Right? You can't get in physical fights while you're praying, right? <laughs> Um, the prophets, on the other hand, those, that's letters inside the faith community in a faith community that's been the faith community for hundreds of years. And you're getting in-depth look at what, who God is and what he cares about, what makes him mad and what makes him happy, right? Um, whereas with Paul, you really are scratching, I know it sounds really terrible to say this, uh, I mean, it's profound stuff uh, to be sure, but it's, um, it is a... It feels to me almost like the beginning, uh, you know, it's, it's, so it's still profound stuff. But when you're looking at the Old Testament, you're talking to what, uh, you know, hundreds of years after the Lord had told them what to do. You know what I mean? Hundreds of years. And then you get a voice into that world. So there's a, uh, besides the difficulty of understanding them sometimes, um, yeah. Paul's letters are nice places to sit sometimes because you have a cap to it and we can approach it. Um, even when, when you start to get a more old Testament perspective, you'll read Paul differently. Um, but I will say in all of these conversations I had on diversity stuff, I've watched uh, conversations on Twitter a lot. Um, uh, people of color quote the old Testament. White people quote back Paul. <laughs> <laughs> like I've just been like, been like keeping tally. And it's just what they do. Yep. Uh, and it's a very interesting move. Um, and I think that if you're going to train, I mean, you guys have a, you have a ridiculous task that you're trying to pull off in y'all's church, because how do you join two cultures and not give one supremacy, yeah. right? Not, not have one of them gets the momentum, which one carries the momentum, right? And which one's voice is easier to hear? Which one do you default to? Right, because that's culture. Culture is default, right? I mean, it's just a really hard. That's a hard job, and the only way to really get people, I think, to do that is if they have a very firm understanding and have been discipled in the gospel and in the text. You guys, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the encouragement again. <laughs> yeah, man. No, I, I just think that your your problems. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you, I think you I can't. You're, you're not going to be able to answer. Yeah. A problem or like discipline yeah. or like shout or argue your way into a correction on any of these things. Yeah. It is training, training. and training is years. Yep. So, so good. 
so I, I said death by a thousand cuts, right? The experience of a lot of people of color. Um, I would even maybe phrase it as death by a thousand questions. <laughs> you know? yeah. Like you just got lots of questions. And even when we were sitting down to talk about merging, I had lots of questions for you. And uh, this is kind of raw, but here's kind of what I've been thinking, Scott. I think, I'm just thinking of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, on the very bottom, you have just your basic needs for safety, for food, shelter. And then at the very top is the self-actualization, you know, just the, the understanding who we are and understanding life. And you'll probably get this as a being in the philosophy world, but there's circles that you can run in where it's just a cul-de-sac. You know, you get into it and you start batting around this idea and you just drive around in circles and you never really drive out and go anywhere. And I feel like, yeah, yeah when you're in the, in the suburbs uh, and, and there's, no, there's no needs around you, you get bored. And you just start talking about ideas and debating pe- people and, yeah. and using theological labels. And, and so I feel like, for me, kind of where I've come from, it, it's just easy to get caught up in position papers and, and, and all these intellectual ideas, and we just kind of keep spinning around. And, and I remember talking to you, Jay, and you're like, I, don't, I, didn't, I haven't written any position papers, but we were just in Bridge, we were just trying to love people, trying to meet needs, trying to get people off the street. You know, like, like that was the majority of the time was, was helping people that, who were in need. Um, mm. And so... I don't know if that has anything to do with, with the problem uh, that, that a lot of times we're just bored mm-hmm. um, and um, we're, 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 too, uh, we're too much driving around in a cul-de-sac to actually think about um, the people who have mm-hmm. been on the wrong side of injustice or yeah. The, yeah. The, the, the vulnerable. And so we're, you know, like Jameson said, we're, we're thinking about our backyard right now in North Omaha and uh, we're going to be partnering with um, uh, a block um, uh, kind of a square section of our city, and there's like 183 single moms uh, in that in that area that we're partnering with, and talk about vulnerable. Talk about um, uh, people who got loves and wants to protect and serve, and and uh, but that it's it's hard when that's viewed as by some people in the congregation as social like the social gospel. Should the church be spending our time doing that? We should be making mm-hmm. disciples and, and that sort of thing. Yep. It's yeah, the whole uh, social justice or a social gospel yep. thing is hard. Mm-hmm. Somebody said we're you know we're elevating politics above the Bible. Um, that stuff's hard to to push through. Um, mm-hmm. So yep. yeah, any thoughts? He's on that? in the classroom because professor's just the boss, so it's nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I was thinking as you were talking, there's. Um, you know, like one of the things that should trigger a believer is hurt, hurting, right? And um, it should just stop the conversation in a sense like this person's hurting. I almost don't care how much I have to hurt to make that stop because that's unacceptable. I don't want this to be happening. I want to lift them out. But in that lifting out, what's interesting is you can't lift them higher than you've been lifted. And you can't show them more of the Lord than you've seen. And so I think um, I think one of the core reasons for a lack of motivation in this stuff is a failure in discipleship. That basically they've they've capped off at the suburbs of their relationship with the Lord, which means you know what I mean. Like they just kind of hit this ceiling, and when it goes down, they just pray to get at that ceiling, and then they cut the they cut communication off. You know, they, they, there's a, there's a ceiling on their growth as a believer. 
So they don't know the Lord really well. Yep. The more you know the Lord, the more you're talking with them, the more you're growing with them. You just can't. Like you just you just got to. You just have to. The more you understand the text. So if there's if there's no one in the in the community in the in the believing community, training people up and growing them, you know, pulling them up towards the Lord, um, you're going to cap off at. Well, why would we go help these people and just give? Let's just go give them a meal, right? As if that's the highest good. It's of course it's the highest good. It's the highest good they know is comfort, right? So then what you're motivated is, well, to what extent am I burdened to give them comfort? Yep. What if the highest, what if that's not the highest? Yep. You know, like, what if, what if the suffering, like the goodness of the Lord is still tied to suffering still? Yeah, man, I, I think I'm going to take, that's probably one of the, the big takeaways for me from this conversation is just what you said, like, um, God is his his ear is always inclined towards the hurting, yep. and do we have our ears open yep. uh, to to hear the hurting around us in our city and and yeah. respond? And you respond. just said I, I was writing it down. The first trigger of a Christian should be hurting. I'm like yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. and and I am I am saddened that that is not a reality. Right. So these, these ladies that you're going to go work with, right, they're hurting. They have these physical needs, right? You can fix those. Help get them out. Do that. Absolutely. But there's a bigger hurt. And the problem is you can't lead them. The people that you would send out to go work with them can't lead them past where they themselves have been healed. Right. And where they haven't walked with, the, I mean, the, you know, the longer you walk with the Lord, the longer he heals and brings you up, the more you realize how forgiving he was the whole time and how much he has forgiven and how you start growing in that as well. And then again, it's the parallel servant again, right? The wicked servant, like you just got to go. You just, so uh, the physical, I think the rebuttal to some of the social gospel stuff is you think that my, the biggest hurt of these ladies is this other thing. It's also these things, <laughs> How could I possibly care for them if I didn't care for all of these things? And I wonder if sometimes church leaders are um, in their congregations talking to people who have a very limited understanding of their need for Christ. But there's sort of a secular mindset that has worked its way into the church that says we live in a country where we have all the resources available, just yeah. pull yourselves up by your bootstraps. Like we've already offered them what they need. Yeah. Like these single mom, moms in particular, like, yeah, they have everything they need. And God's like, no, like I'm sending you, yeah. you know, I'm sending you. Yeah. You know, and it's remarkable because the Lord's good in the way he sends people. He sends the right people to the right things. You know, a, you know he lines things up really well with people's life and how he redeems them. He, he tends to use the things he's redeemed in people to redeem others. They're like tools. You know what I mean? To, um, you just see this a lot. You see it in scripture all over the place. Moses was used this way, right? He's trained. He's academically trained. The Lord uses him and his administrative and uh, education to lead the people and write, you know? I love what you said. You can't lead farther than what you've been healed from. And I was thinking about that for myself, like why, <clears throat> why don't I get mad or upset at people when they say, 
a racist statement or um, they're, they don't have any empathy or want to do anything. I'm like, why don't I get mad from that? <clears throat> because the Lord has helped me from that. Like, mm. um, before, I, before I even pastor most at the church, God had to do some healing in my heart back when I was 19 and 20. Because um, my dad <clears throat> went to an all-black church. That's what I knew. Um, vulnerability and we were helped the marginalized and all that. And then I went to a multi-ethnic church um, and I didn't see that happening. And I was mad at white people. Like I was, I'm like Mm -hmm. angry at white people. And then um, I remember one time a leader came to me and said, asked me, why are you so upset? And I explained, he said, the very thing you're mad about, God's going to heal you from and allow you to help heal others from it. I didn't understand at that time when I was 19, but fast forward 12 years and I'm in a multi-ethnic church and now I'm understanding, oh, I've been healed from this. I see how God redeemed me and I want that very thing for people. And so yeah. I'm able to lead out of, a, out of a healthy whole heart than out of a frustrated and angry heart. And what a time, right? So you come into this understanding at this time in your life. You're here at this moment, 2020, just the cluster cuss of this year, right? You're doing this thing with this church. It's like the Lord's like, all right, I got all these pieces. Yep. Go. Right? Here you go. And like, so the, the failure of the church is if you've got all these, these people beneath you and we don't train them like that. You know what I mean? We don't pull them up and deploy them for those zones that the Lord is using them to um, spread his kingdom. You know, then um, it's... It's, uh, that'll be on us. There are other stories in scripture about those people. That's a buzzer, not good stories. <laughs> they end with a get away from me. I didn't know you. Well, as, we, as we've been interviewing uh, guests, there's been kind of a, a common thread here. And it's, it's kind of, I feel like it's, it's, it's God's love expressing itself in different ways, like empathy, listening, uh, honor, outdoing the other in honor. Yep. You know, Myron, uh, he, he just talked about our um, that, that we need each other. Yeah. Not to, that to think that I have I have like my full theology. I can get my full theology on my own. I can do life on my own. I need yeah. people of color. I need yeah. white people uh, to, to experience God. There's yeah. a, there's humility in that. Yeah. And uh, and uh, Yanita uh, said that she's like I don't know everything, and I want to. I want. I'm curious. I want to know learn. more from you. I want to yeah. learn from you. And just yeah. that learning posture, which yeah. is huge. Uh, Stacy. Uh, just said, hey, we need to hold each other's stories. Uh, we need to, to listen to one another's stories and not jump to conclusions, not just argue facts. Yeah. Like when all the, the, the shootings went down, there was, people were so quick to argue the facts, like this happened, this didn't happen, rather than just saying, hey, that's a, that's a group of people that are hurting. Yeah. Let me figure out why. Yeah. You know, And that ties into what you're saying, too, just that God is for the hurting um, so just interesting seeing this common, common thread. And thank goodness, right? Yeah. Thank goodness he is. Yeah. We rely on it. Yeah. So, Scott, is there, uh, we need to wrap up here. Um, and so, is there any other passages in, in the Old Testament that you continue to take your students back to, uh, or just themes that you feel like are kind of have been, the volume has been turned down uh, in, in sort of, uh, you know, evangelical churches in our culture? Uh, what, what breaks your heart? What, what do you want uh, the church to know? Um, you can just talk a little bit uh, here. Um, I think, um, geez, 
I think that a lot of what we talked about is what's really um, motivating me. Uh, one of the places I'm particularly motivated to address that is um, uh, being able to read scripture well. Um, and, and I don't mean well, where well is towards a, a theological, like that the supports some theological position, even the ones we're talking about now. Um, I mean, well, like sound thinking in it, um, because that will produce moments with the Lord. Essentially learn how to shut off your biases better. You never do it, right? You never do it right. But you can implement some things that will help you really, really grow. And I, I see a lack of an ability to, Scripture's a mystery to people. It's a, it's a, it's a magic eight ball most of the time. And I think that's, it, that upsets me because it's not hard. You guys have done narrative. Narrative's not, I mean, it takes a lot of time. But methodologically, it's not hard. It's just read a story. Tell me what a story means, right? And the hard part about that class is what, when people have to just strip off stuff because they can't see it because they've been uh, trying to see the God that they want. And so if you can strip it back and teach people how, how to use scripture well, the growth, um, it's exponential. That's a, that's a big thing. The other thing I would say is, last thing, the one that I keep going back to is, like, when someone, God first goes and he rescues Abram, and he sends him to, to Egypt, and that whole thing, just this huge display for them that I can rescue you out of slavery, right? I am the mightiest thing, and I can go do it. He gives them a bunch of laws, and we've talked about some here. I think one of the things that really makes me sad is a misunderstanding of those laws, and uh, not only a misunderstanding, but a belief that you can't do them. Um, you don't have to, and we don't have to do them anymore. Um, I think that's really dangerous because if that's true, then you don't have to look after widows and orphans anymore. And if the sacrificial system doesn't work anymore, then what was the death of Christ? What's holding that thing up as being valid? Um, the reason I'm saying all of this is when God brought them out of Egypt and he rescues them, he tells them something. He's like, look, guys, I want you to act like I act towards here's here is how I act right imagine a guy has an ox or imagine a guy has a house or imagine people want to get married like he tells all these principles and he says so go do this and if you if you do it um it'll go great but if you don't I'm gonna have to kick you out of my land right because uh, again the principle that you can't be where I'm you can't be in my spot and act like that right okay so I'm telling this story because at the end of telling them, I'll kick you out. He says, I'm going to bring you back. And when I do, it's going to be different. Because while he tells us in, in Deuteronomy, he says, take these laws and write them on your heart, right? Just put them on your heart. Moses tells them this. When God says, when, I bring, when, I, when you don't do it and I bring you back to the land, the thing that I'm going to be doing different is I'm going to write the laws on your heart for you so that you can do them. So, your, I would say, to foster in people that compassion, those promptings of the Spirit, that is, that's, you in the church today are what Israel was waiting for for thousands of years. Like, you, has been. Like, you're it. You're this thing. God says, I want this, this thing to be me on this planet. And he's like, so now he's written it in our hearts to go do it. It's there. 
um, don't suppress it, grow it. And we need people to help people grow it. So yeah, that's my only the beef. Man. I love that. The, the challenging your biases, like let it, allowing scripture to, to read you and to challenge your biases. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how you can do that apart from community. Yeah. You know, it just can't just apart be from what? apart from community. Uh, you know, just yeah. you reading your, the Bible by yourself, like you, you need other people uh, around you to be able to challenge those biases. Yep. You need people who know what they're doing around you yeah. to help train you. You get a bunch of idiots in a room, right? Tell them all to like go plumb, like give, give a bunch of six-year-olds pipe wrenches and tell them to go fix the sink, you know? It's going to be a disaster. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, no. that may have been a bit hyperbolic. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> Yeah, and we have a habit of surrounding ourselves with people who think like us because uh, it's more comfortable. Um, yep. That's a problem. Yep. Need people that are better than us. Yep. Yep. At the thing we need to be better at. Yep. I mentioned previously that I feel like I'm a more fully formed disciple uh, and I've been growing as I've been around my friends of color over the past couple of years, being able to see things and experience things in the scriptures that I wasn't able to before just because of those biases. So I just love, um, I love reading the Bible and community now and and having my assumptions challenged. It's been good for Uh, all of you guys are doing. An awesome church, super hard project. (laughs) And I, uh, can I, can I say one thing about what your project is? It's really interesting about it. Um, uh, the, the sad thing to me about your project is that your people of color are having to take it on the chin still as everyone learns how to do it. Mm, yeah, that's true. Uh, essentially, that means every Sunday there are interactions that are hard for people. And they're, not, they're hard for white people because they're having to learn something new. They're hard for people of color because they're getting punched again. And that's... I don't know that that's hard. That's hard for me to say because I know it's true and I watch it and I, and I don't know how to not do it myself. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like in those interactions that I have, I still, this is something I'm weak on. I still, we all have to grow in this, but in the process, I think we need to recognize who we're leaning on, who, who we're asking to take the punches. And then I think there's a great deal of gratitude that's called for Yes, you're exactly right. We've experienced that. Uh, So, yeah, we had one of our women of color uh, come out and say something um, publicly, and it offended one of the the white girls in our church. And uh, so it kind of started something there. And the the white girl uh, wouldn't leave it alone. Like, kept saying, hey, you offended me by what you said. And, and just yeah. kept going, kept going after this girl. And this, and this, this, this um, one of our leaders of color, like she, uh, she's had this conversation a million times before. Yeah. And it's the first time that the other girls having the conversation. Yeah. And so we had to like set, she had to set boundaries because it was, you know, just bring, it's like PTSD. It's bringing up stuff over and over, over again. And that's hopefully we can uh, podcast. We can do some time about uh, just um, dealing with trauma, yeah. but uh, it is. It's traumatic, and and you so you have immature people that are still hurting uh, people of color. So they're trying to do this thing and still getting hurt. How do you protect one another in those instances? So yeah, what, what you just yeah, said. Yeah. How, like, how do you guys make church not a point of trauma? Yeah. 
yep. of continued trauma. And and the Lord's gonna have to do good work and big work because that's a huge. It's awful. It's awful. So. No, I'm just I'm just grateful for you, man. Like just. Um, I look at who continues to shape my life personally, you know, and I have many, you know, a few people shaped and man, just when I started at Pillar, just how you have shaped my life, man, which is what I'm grateful for, which is why um, I, I keep fighting for this. I keep fighting to have um, diversity at the table, diversity in the classroom, that, like it's huge because it shapes all of us. And I know I'm richly blessed and I'm shaped because I I get to send an email to Scott, hey, talk to me about this, you know, and you're able to, you know, help me navigate through and and even the email I know you sent up even where you were at with with what God was doing in your heart on the issue. And so like to me, we don't get to see a lot of that reconciliation happening, what actually God is is doing. So continuing to highlight that in our lives is is huge for me. Mm. Yeah, when we uh, from the majority cultures um, speak out on things. And, and then we have friends that come to us say, hey, you need to keep the peace, like you're being too divisive. But but then it's always like our friends of color come and say, thank you thank so you. much for saying something. <laughs> and that that yeah. like keeps me going. And I remember when you yeah. sent that email, Scott, it was a very tumultuous time in our culture. And I remember him, him talking about the email that he got from you yeah. and just how much it meant. Yeah. And so that's a great just um, reminder for us and for our listeners that like reaching out to people personally, one on one, and encouraging yeah. them and saying, "Hey, keep going! Don't don't stop! Don't give up!" Yeah. Those kind of messages are like healing, yeah. healing uh, for people who have been through through tra- traumatic experiences. 100%. So, yeah. yeah. Well, we appreciate you. I'll be back in the classroom uh, with you here soon. I'm gonna try to get in there, Scott. You you pump, you got <laughs> me energized from this, so I think <laughs> I'm gonna sign up, man. <laughs> yeah, appreciate you, man. <laughs> Uh, thanks for all you're doing yeah. and uh, best of luck to you. We'll, we'll see you soon. Yes, sir.